Hot wallets, cold wallets, custodial wallets, lightning wallets. What does it all mean? And how should we think about what a wallet is in the sense of Bitcoin and how it relates to our keys? The importance of which we know oh so well from Bitcoin Basics Episode 3. Well, we are going to cover it in today's Bitcoin Basics episode. Plus, we're going to do something a little fun. I am going to set up a few wallets live on the recording, and I'm going to send $10 in Bitcoin to them, about 42,000 sats, and then I'm going to read the seed phrase, and you guys can race to see if you can re-import, recover that wallet into your green or blue wallet, and send that Bitcoin somewhere else behind your keys. Hopefully, this will teach you the incredible importance of keeping your seed words safe and secret, and also earn somebody a little bit of Bitcoin. With that, let's get into it with Episode 4 of the Bitcoin Basics series, Wallets and Transactions. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? We are back. This is Bitcoin Audible, and I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And we are we are not doing a read today. We are getting back into the basics series uh, because I wanted to talk about wallets. And I really feel like now that we've got the foundation of keys out from underneath us and we or, or covered, so to speak, built up underneath us. That's a better way to put it. We've got the foundation uh, constructed. We can make a lot more sense out of what is going on with our wallets. Because I kind of feel from the standpoint of people getting into Bitcoin who are first using Bitcoin, I think this is where there is the most confusion as to what is going on and when you are actually holding Bitcoin and when you are not. Because if you just search what are the best Bitcoin wallets on Google or you search Bitcoin wallet in the App Store or the Google Play Store, you will very often not find wallets you will you will find services that are offering you offering a way to hold bitcoin on their servers and in the context of what we talked about with basics 3 with keys you are actually just getting an iou you're getting an app it's like logging into your bank account your bank has full control over everything and only with their permission do you actually own any of it or can you withdraw any of it so this is like the example of uh, Coinbase, the Coinbase app or the Coinbase wallet. I can't tell you how many times somebody has said, oh yeah, I hold it. I bought it on Coinbase or, and I've got, you know, I'm holding Bitcoin and I'm like, no, you're not. I'm sorry to break it to you. That's terrible news maybe, but you're not holding Bitcoin. You're holding a Coinbase IOU. If Coinbase goes down, you have nothing. If Coinbase goes bankrupt, you have nothing. If Coinbase is hacked and they are drained of their Bitcoin, your account, quote unquote, your wallet will still appear as if it has something, but you will never be able to get your Bitcoin back. Or at best, you will get a fraction of it back after like 10 years of bankruptcy courts and lawyers and emails and trying to catch up with updates. A perfect example is that Mt. Gox, that collapsed in 2013, a decade ago, my brother is only now getting fractions of a payout over months. And it's not even, it's not even like slightly relevant to the original value. Whereas most of that Bitcoin is still there. There are literally, there are a subset of people, I don't know if it's lawyers or um, the people who own Mt. Gox, whatever it is, but they have found a way and they, I'm sure they have fought to get their own billions of dollars. Carpellus, whoever it is that's, in, that's basically getting all of the Bitcoin, has clearly fought tooth and nail to try to make sure that they are only paying people back the dollar amount of the Bitcoin from 2013. So, like, if you lost 
like 10 Bitcoin or so on Mt. Gox back when it crashed, you're not getting paid 10 Bitcoin. You're getting paid the rough dollar amount of what that Bitcoin was worth all the way back in 2013 in Bitcoin. And it was so volatile then. I think they've, I want to say it was like, I, I, I might be wrong about this. I'm sure my brother will listen and then message me and be like, dude, you got that wrong. But I think it was like $600 per Bitcoin that they're trying to pay it out at, even though they collapsed at $1,000 of Bitcoin. I don't know. That's all a tangent just to say you don't want an IOU. You don't want an IOU. You, you either hold your Bitcoin or you are not holding Bitcoin. You either have the keys or it's not yours. And it's very difficult to discern which wallets you actually have your keys with sometimes. If you don't know what you're getting into or what the wallet is, you can end up finding out when things go wrong that you're holding an IOU and not even realize it. Basically, and this isn't always the case because there are some funky systems or kind of unique setups that you're still technically holding your keys but it's not done in, tr in the traditional way. But basically the rule of thumb is, is that if you are given a 12 word or a 24 word seed phrase, then it, when you set up the wallet that you have to back up or you cannot get your funds back, then you are holding your own keys. And the reason or the, the importance of being able to hold your own keys is that you don't even have to go to that wallet in order to get your funds back. You can go to any wallet. You take that seed phrase with you. You punch it into the new wallet. You, you can use Sparrow. You can use Green. You can use Mycelium. Like any wallet that supports on-chain Bitcoin. You punch that seed back in and it will search the Bitcoin chain, the Bitcoin time chain, for all of the transactions that are relevant to you. And you will be able to use that key to unlock them and spend them just like you had in your previous wallet. If you hold your own keys, you don't have to be beholden to the company, to the brand of wallet, to the service, anything like that. All you have to do is find a way to communicate with Bitcoin, which means any wallet, any app, anything that does that, you have access to your Bitcoin. So first and foremost, just like we've talked about in previous episodes, if you want to know that you have control over your Bitcoin Somewhere in the process, you are going to get a seed phrase. And it is important to remember, yes, it is a barrier. Yes, it's a little bit of a headache. But it's one of those things that if it takes less than five minutes, just do it now. You will never regret properly backing up your seed phrase right when you create the wallet. It just needs to be a habit. Just do it. Do it right now. When you open up the wallet, it's going to give you the words... It's not, that hard to, it's not that hard to write down 24 words. It just isn't. I realize it feels like a barrier, but it is, it's purposefully put ahead of using the wallet for security and recovery purposes. And then after you write it down, you should never have to deal with it again unless you are recovering your funds. If someone asks you to punch in seed phrase, a seed phrase somewhere, 99.9% .9 of the time, don't ever do it unless you know exactly why you are doing it and you know you are recovering funds and you know what you are using, what you are recovering it with. I hope we covered this pretty well in Basics Episode 3, but your keys are everything. That seed phrase, if you just give it to somebody else, if you punch it into a browser that somebody else can see, if you punch it into a website, they have your funds and they will automatically take it instantly. Like it will happen in seconds. It will just whoosh, gone. So just treat it like very, very sensitive data because that's what it is. And this is why I think a physical backup is such an important part of the process. A write it down on a piece of paper and keep it safe. Keep it where you know it is. In fact, there's actually a really good option. Um, there's a uh, little book called Stone Crypt. Um, and I've used it. It's a great way to, like, cause you get like with hardware wallets and like a bunch of different products around like Bitcoin security, you get these little cards that you can write, um, write your seed words down on and, but they start to build up, right? They start to, you need a place to put them. And there's a lot of great little things. Like you get like a little metal case or, um, card case or something off of Amazon. And I highly recommend that if you, you know, have a bunch of these cards, um, and it's good to actually have them branded properly because you know 
you know, if you've got your coin kite, I mean, your cold card seed, it's got a little cold card symbol on it, right? If you've got your ledger seed or you've got your keystone seed, they, they're each branded. So the card is from the company. So it's easy to connect it to your hardware wallet. But most people aren't going to have that problem. I have that problem. You're probably not going to have that problem. I have like 50 wallets, including hardware wallets, custodial wallets, hot wallets, cold wallets, blah, blah, blah. In fact, on that note, let's get into all the different kinds of wallets. You're going to hear a lot of terms. You're going to hear hot wallet, cold wallet, warm wallet, mobile wallet, hardware wallet, custodial wallet, non-custodial wallet, self-hosted wallet. So what does all that mean? Well, first off, you will only hear self-hosted from either a regulator or politician or an idiot. And there, I mean, yes, I repeat myself, but you only hear that from establishment morons. That's their word for making it seem like the only wallet where you actually hold or own anything is the odd man out, is the strange wallet, where everything else isn't actually a wallet. The only thing that is actually a Bitcoin wallet where you own Bitcoin is when you hold the keys. That is what they call self-hosted. So if you ever hear someone use the term self-hosted, run away. They are not your friend. For someone who knows what they're talking about, they're just going to consider it a wallet if you are holding the keys. And then it's not a wallet if you're not holding the keys. Often it's called custodial and non-custodial. Non-custodial being the one that you're holding your keys. Custodial meaning that somebody else is holding your actual Bitcoin for you and they just give you a service, and interface to use it. But the hot, the warm, the cold, and the frozen storage um, is based on how susceptible to the internet, to a, an internet-connected device, your keys are, the access to your Bitcoin is. So a mobile wallet that is generated keys and you have backed up properly is a hot wallet. It's connected to the internet. It's on a mobile device that's designed for just apps and features, not for security, not for, you know, hardcore savings or authentication. That is a hot wallet. You can think of uh, a custodial wallet as maybe a wallet that is literally on fire. It is burning. So maybe you use it for a couple of bucks because there's some really fancy features or it works really well, but don't trust it for Jack. It's as unsafe and as trusted as it gets. Someone else has your Bitcoin and it's connected to the internet. Now, so what is the other end of this spectrum would be the cold, your cold storage. This is basically your hardware wallets. Um, these are devices they're hardware security modules, in a sense. They're um, basically, if you ever see, you watch a movie or whatever, and a corporate uh, you know, CEO or somebody or somebody in government, they have like a little USB stick or something, and the computer won't turn on unless they have that stick, or they, uh, you know, they can't authenticate something, and you have to turn the key to launch the nuclear device or something. There's a device that does not do general computing, it is as simple as a device gets, and the entire thing is built purely for security. It is how do you get it to do one job, and one job only, as well and as reliably as you can, while it prevents any other potentially malicious or um, uh, invasive communication mechanism whatsoever. It shuts all that other stuff down. Well, that is a Bitcoin hardware wallet. What it is doing is it generates your keys, it keeps the keys securely on the device, and what it does is it allows you to sign. It allows you to unlock the Bitcoin that have been sent to you to send it to somebody else, but your keys never touch the internet. They're never on an internet-connected device. Instead, the internet-connected device sends a tr transaction details to your hardware wallet, then on that device, you sign the transaction and you send the unlocked transaction back to the computer. And this simply separates the jobs. Your general computing device is for your, your, your MacBook or your mobile phone or whatever is for 
your uh, to make it easy to see the wallet balances and all of these things. But when you want to send a transaction, when you want to unlock your Bitcoin, you don't want to do it anywhere near the internet. You want to do it on an isolated device that is air-gapped. That's why I've advertised for cold card and bitbox in the past is because these are great devices that do exactly that there's a lot of different options and even though i have my personal preferences i'm a huge fan of cold card um i'm a fan of bitbox i'm a fan of keystone a seed signer jade there's so many different brands that do these things some of them not so trustworthy um i'll have a list of my favorites in the show notes uh, but no you also get the discount with the cold card because they're sponsoring the show so they've got a special discount for me and if you wanted something that's really good and is actually on the very low end of cost the tap signer it's literally the entire thing is in the card which we talked about that with mvk on the previous episode it really is kind of crazy how it works but i'll have a list of um my most used hardware wallets so if you wanted to check them out um, and just the ones that I value and that I trust the teams, like I, I know most of them personally um, and or have followed the products and the services and stuff that they've built for a very, very long time. So I these are just the ones that I tinker with a lot and find myself using more than any others. But the hardware wallet, it is a little bit of an investment. You know, if you have... This is why we call it cold storage, because this is for your savings. This is for life-altering amounts of Bitcoin. If, you know, $3,000 is a really big freaking deal and you are going to be devastated if you lose $3,000, it needs to be in, in cold storage. And that's whether or not you buy a $40 tap signer or you buy a $200 or $300 like fancy with a screen and QR scanner and all of that stuff. Like the, the range of hardware wallets that you can get is pretty wide. But regardless, if it is a meaningful amount of money, then please you're going to save yourself a lot of potential pain and headache. It's cheaper than an insurance program. Just get yourself a hardware wallet. It is the 100x security improvement. And of course, back up the seed. Okay, so let's go back over kind of the basics that we've hit so far. So we've got hot wallets are on your phone and they are live. The keys are available on your phone to sign a transaction at any time. So all you have to do is open up the app and you send a transaction and you're good. But we are still talking about an app where you hold the keys. It is a non-custodial sovereign wallet or according to a moron politician, self-hosted then you have on fire hot wallets uh, which are custodial wallets they are holding your bitcoin and they are connected to the internet you don't own anything you have an iou don't hold much money in these but there's a lot of great features and it is totally fine to use them for small amounts of money anyone that tells you that every single penny in bitcoin every single sat that you have must be in like hardcore cold storage is probably someone who doesn't use Bitcoin very much. What you want to be is largely is 95% protected from custodians and surveillance, which means you just don't want custodial wallets, but for small amounts, for quick interactions, for using it in day-to-day -day payments, it is totally fine to put a little bit in custodial wallets. I have many, many custodial wallets and I use them, but I don't ever have more than two or three hundred bucks in them and it amounts that I would spend on groceries or buying a trinket or buying another tap signer or some something it's a petty cash wallet right then we have our cold storage these are your hardware wallets or your watch only wallets um, which just means that you put your public key your lock into the wallet so that it can aggregate and see if you're receiving transactions, but the keys just stay completely offline. They're just on a piece of paper, they're engraved into metal, carved into wood, whatever it is, and they're just there if you ever need to get access to it, and essentially it becomes a, the you can only receive to the wallet. But this is a really cool way to actually do this. 
Because think about it, is that you can receive to a wallet that's not connected to keep generating new addresses, actually, um, because it's generated from your lock, not your key. So your public key can go into an app and you can make an invoice for somebody and make it so that they can pay you Bitcoin. But it just goes to cold storage that's not connected to anything that's, you know, engraved into a chunk of metal or stamped into some uh, washers uh, and, you know, buried in your backyard or something. And the keys never touch anything. So that's a really interesting or cool element about it is that you can completely separate your sending and receiving or your, your unlocking and your locking functions uh, from the Internet so that you can still use it as something that people can interact with you, but you never actually expose the keys to anything. So there are certain wallets like Blue Wallet that has like a combination of different things, uh, which actually I think they've announced that they're going to stop the custodial side of their wallet. Um, but you can basically connect a bunch of different wallets. So I could connect a hardware wallet. I could make a watch-only wallet that lets me just receive. Um, I could connect a different mobile wallet or a lightning wallet on my home node. It's almost like a wallet manager, so to speak. But honestly, for most of you out there, especially just getting started, you're only going to have to ever deal with one wallet. So I know some of what I'm saying just because I, my experience is download all the wallets um it is not going to be your experience and it's not going to be as complicated or elaborate of a setup you're going to have a simple generally one seed phrase um one wallet and uh maybe a couple of custodial to help with some fun features like having an address like a like a sort of email address that you can receive payments to so that's kind of the general breakdown of the wallet space. Um, and like I said earlier is don't Google search. Nine times out of ten, your Google search options are going to be custodial wallets and crypto wallets. They're going to they're gonna advertise the thing that has the most tokens and has trading built into the app. And trust me, none of that is where you want to be. It hugely increases your attack surface. You've got all sorts of problems. They're going to try to sell you garbage and uh, they're going to try to get you to try to time the market, which you can either invest in Bitcoin, you can invest in sound money, or you can become a degenerate gambler on shitcoin tokens. If you want to do the latter, go ahead, but you're not going to hear anything useful for you on the show. And I promise you, you're going to be constantly stressed out. You're going to be wanting to wake up at three o'clock in the morning to check the price because you're going to be over leveraged and you're going to have your ass handed to you more times than you can count. And after years of stress and trying to, you know, even making really great gains on some bull markets here and there and thinking that you're a god and that you're always going to win and then getting wiped out over and over, you're going to look back after three years, after three stressful years in which you distracted yourself from doing so many valuable things in your life and where you missed events and hanging out with friends because you were trying to check your leverage and make sure that you weren't going to get margin called on some stupid shitcoin bet and you're going to realize that if you had just bought some bitcoin slowly over time you'd have like 10 times as much as you had at the end of that three years and you would have had a very calm productive life where you focused on your family and your immediate world and producing things that are valuable in the world and just saving it in sound money. I promise you, Bitcoin does not reward gambling. It does not reward high time preference thinking. It is no coincidence that all of the biggest, most used shitcoin gambling websites collapse it is not a sound culture, it does not have sound practices, and it is a recipe for disaster. My advice, guys' advice, please, just stay away. This is also why I recommend Swan Bitcoin as a way to get in. They have great wallet recommendations, they have great hardware wallet recommendations, and they have very good in-depth arguments as to why they are never going to try to push shitcoins on you, and they are not going to try to make, try to make any fees off of you for trading, and they will give you a very sound long-term plan and strategy to set yourself up for a Bitcoin world. I do not take my sponsors lightly. I want to reiterate that for people who are new to the show is 
I do not prefer the advertising model. But if I do have an advertising model, I want it to be, I want to just be able to share with you the services that I use, the services that I like and trust. And frankly, Swan Bitcoin is, is the best foundation, is the best introduction to Bitcoin that will kind of give you the right framing to protect yourself. If you want to branch out, if you want to start exploring other things, understand Bitcoin first. In fact, there's a really great episode by uh, Fidelity Digital Assets. They wrote a lengthy report called Bitcoin First. I will have that in the show notes. And it is a wonderful rule of thumb for operating in this space and for getting into and understanding Bitcoin. There's no better place than Swan Bitcoin. And I have an affiliate link. This will just become the ad. SwanBitcoin.com slash guy will take you there. So anyway, that doesn't, that didn't start out as a sponsor break, but it became the sponsor break. Now, the other thing about wallets and like like day-to-day interaction, if you're using Bitcoin, you're now going to be largely particularly with mobile wallets, you're going to want to interact with Lightning. Now, this adds what feels like a whole nother layer of complexity. And we are going to have our own episode on Lightning, I think probably in the next Basics episode, because Lightning is kind of the front-facing side of Bitcoin these days. It's how you interact with it most often now, or at least for me, that's the case. And these are their own class of wallets, but you can just think of them like hot wallets. Um, the thing about Lightning is that uh, payments, where Bitcoin, you have these blocks coming in every 10 minutes, and it's only after that block is put into the Bitcoin chain, put into Bitcoin history, that it's quote unquote confirmed. Lightning is a layer on top of it. I don't want to get too much into it just because it, it'll complicate things. But it's a layer on top of it that has instant payments and it's much cheaper. So where a uh, Bitcoin, I likened it to, I think it was Basics Episode 2. I talked about like Bitcoin is a tank in a world of tricycles. Well, you don't take the tank to go get groceries, right? You're, the tank is there for when things go wrong and for when you are keeping your family safe. It's, your, it's the bunker under your house. It's not what you take a drive to the park in. Lightning is the lightweight version of it. It uses the settlement of the tank in order to secure your ownership, but it creates a much lighter utility vehicle to do day-to-day activities in, and you know it's much. It's got a lot more features and fun little things that you can do with it because it's designed around constant and regular like quick interaction and cheap payments so that's how to think of lightning for now and we will get a little bit deeper into it only so deep that we really need to understand how to interact with it if you want to do a really deep dive uh, i have a lightning workshop which i give at bitblock boom where we give a breakdown of how lightning works like the lightning contract how you construct a lightning channel and what that means and all that good stuff so if you want to get into the weeds i do get into the weeds and i hope to have a more formal and lengthier uh, breakdown of it but it's much more of a mastering lightning sort of course rather than a basics course for sure but today we are just going to focus on just think of lightning as kind of the lightweight payment app and bitcoin as the on-chain bitcoin is how it's referred to Um, But the on-chain wallets, which is what we're focused on today, as the tank wallets, they're the beefier, uh, the transactions are a little bit slower, they're a little bit more expensive, but when you get them, they're done. There's no question, there's no ambiguity, you are holding your keys, you, they are sent to you and they are locked and confirmed on the chain and the massive hash wall of proof of work, the force field of Bitcoin is closing around those Bitcoin and they are never coming back out unless someone signs with your keys, which obviously you want that to only be you, which is why you keep your keys safe. So we're going to do something that might be a little bit difficult over audio, but... 
I think this could be fun. And I am going to set up and kind of walk, talk you through. I think the reason I think this will be valuable, even though you're not seeing it, and I'm going to have videos for these very soon. I kind of hope to do this um, within the next couple of weeks, probably. Um, videos of just kind of setting up wallets. And I want to put, I want to make a little wallet and walk you through just kind of what I'm seeing and what you can expect to see. And if you kind of have the relationship with it of, you know, something comes up in front of you when you're setting up your wallet, if you can follow along right now, obviously, that's great. Do it. Um, but uh, when you set your wallet up later, if you haven't done it, you should be familiar with the terms, with some of the things. Like, you'll be like, oh, that's what he's talking about. And I'm not going to dwell on things, so it's like this long, boring process. We're just going to kind of go through it really quick. But we're going to do something fun at the same time. Is I'm going to set up three different wallets. And I am going to, at some point, move $10 in Bitcoin to each of those wallets. And I'm going to read the seed phrases on this show. So if you download these wallets and then punch in the seed phrase, you will be able to potentially, if you can sign a transaction before everybody else who does this, get the $10 in Bitcoin by moving it to a different wallet. But you need a different wallet to move it to because these are going to be public private keys. Everybody is going to have these keys. So they will not be there for very long. In fact, probably what's going to ruin this experiment is that somebody's going to have an automated bot that just sweeps anything as soon as there's even a transaction broadcast. Um, but one of the things that you can do uh, that I hope you do is restore the wallet with the seed and you can see the transaction. You'll notice that you'll be able to pull the data from Bitcoin and see the transaction that came in and the transaction that left. And that basically gives you a set of seed words with real transaction history to use as an example so you can kind of see how important the seed phrase is and you see what happens that you can pull up the entire, your entire wallet, the history, the everything, just by using the seed phrase. So let's go ahead and get into it. So first one, uh, Blockstream makes a, a wallet called Blockstream Green. Now, there is, this is connecting to their node, um, and a lot of wallet services do this, which just means that you, you're going to be requesting specific information from them, which means they're likely going to be able to put together what addresses or whatever you have, because you're essentially asking them for certain addresses and certain transactions that are relevant to you, and then they're providing that data from Bitcoin. So generally, it's a hard and fast rule that any mobile wallet, you don't have a whole lot of privacy with. You have to be pretty purposeful about your setup or extremely selective about your wallets if you want that. Um, you're going to do much better with a desktop wallet and running your own node or something like that, which isn't as intimidating as it seems. Uh, but uh, we will get into that. That will be its own episode, what a node is and what that process is. But the Blockstream Green wallet is what I am setting up now. And when you open up the main screen, it's just going to have a button that says Add Wallet. And then it's going to have devices that just listed that you can use a Blockstream Jade or a Ledger Nano X. So these are both hardware wallets. They're both decent ones. I'm not that big of a fan of Ledger. Um, it's more a crypto wallet and Ledger got hacked for all their customer data. Um, which, eh, all companies do that, and it's not like anybody has your private keys. But still, I don't know. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't really recommend Ledger particularly. But if you have Ledger, there's not really anything that, wrong with them, you know? Like, I, I wouldn't tell you to throw away your Ledger. I still use mine, uh, just not as much. But I'm going to create a software wallet, which the keys are just going to be on the mobile device, and I'm generating them on the fly. So I hit Add Wallet, and it says, Blockstream Green, simple and secure. We'll get you set up in no time. Make sure you have a pen and paper ready, because now I am writing down my seed phrase. I agree to the terms and service. Now, I can hit a new wallet or restore wallet. Now, if, and also you notice there's a watch only button, which is what I mentioned earlier, is it's a way to just be able to see things going to your keys without actually having your keys connected to anything. 
but I'm going to set up a new wallet. Now, if you are using this seed phrase, you're going to want to hit the restore wallet button so you can see the transaction history that I'm about to do right now. So I'm going to do new wallet. Uh, help green improve. Do you want to do details, usage data? No, don't collect data. Sorry, guys. Um, now, it gives me an option of Bitcoin or Liquid. Liquid is a sidechain down the road. We'll get into it. It's kind of like lightning in a sense, like of its purpose. Um, they're not constructed the same at all, but uh, it, it's, it's Bitcoin uh, in a different network, so to speak. Don't worry about it. It's not really got anything to do with our, pro our purposes right now. So I hit Bitcoin. I am going to do their single sig and multi sig shield, which is basically a way to have Blockstream have a backup if everything goes wrong key that's involved, um, but never actually really has custody. It's a really clever workaround, but it's a complex, it's a more complex arrangement. Um, so we're just going to do single sig, and that's what we're talking about. I have the keys, and if I don't have the keys, there's nothing, there's no backup plan, there's no nothing. So single sig. New recovery phrase. Choose phrase length. Oh, I didn't even realize this. I haven't set up a new one so long. You can do 12 words or 24 words. Um, so for simple, simple purposes, we're going to do 12. Uh, back up your recovery phrase. Write down your phrase on pen and paper. Store it somewhere. Do not store it on your phone, computer, or any online services. That's great advice, Blockstream. Thank you. Don't take any screenshots of your recovery phrase. That is one thing. A lot of people want to take screenshots because it's a shortcut understand that the media analysis demon the the a process that runs on ios and mac and i'm pretty sure on windows or whatever just pulls text from images um if you've ever noticed it like if you bring up an image you can take a picture of like a street and there's like numbers or text on a sign you can literally highlight it and copy and paste it so don't take a screenshot i mean there's a hundred other reasons but just understand that your computer is reading that text. And then if you put it in iCloud or something like that, it's just on a whole nother computer. You might as well consider those that seed as stolen as it's about to be as I read this on the recording and publish it on the Internet. OK, so continue. Write down the words. One, ecology. Two, essay. Three, pill. Four, attend. Five, diet. Six, cargo. And I am going to take a screenshot. And I'm going to read the other six in a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to make you stay to the end. So I'm doing everything wrong here. I am reading my seed on the show and I am taking a screenshot of the other six. Okay. Uh, recovery phrase check. Basically, it's just going to make sure that I have all of this in the right order. And I've written it down properly because otherwise I don't have my coins. So double checking. That is my answer. I don't want to, I don't want to share this yet. All right, so I confirmed, I think, I think it was like five different ones. And the name for my wallet is going to be single sig Bitcoin. Continue. Setting up your wallet. Punch in a pin. One, 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 one. Verify your pin. One, one, one. Please don't do this. Understand that my, what I am doing right now is the worst, worst version of security. I'm not going to put money on, I'm literally putting money on this that I want to burn. So, uh, now I have a wallet. Um, and you'll see things like SegWit account, legacy SegWit account, uh, these sorts of things. You can basically have sub wallets, just like we talked about. You can have, you know, you have your public lock and then you have your sub locks. Well, you can have sub sub <laughs> locks. It just, it's math. So you can have derivatives of derivatives and it doesn't really, you're not really limited by anything. Um, so I can create separate accounts, but this is actually kind of a cool thing because you have one seed, but you can separate your funding. So like, let's say you're saving Bitcoin and you want to start a fund that I'm going to pay off all my credit cards when this Bitcoin is worth X amount of money or something. And you put 20% of whatever you get every month, whatever you stack every month into that one. And then you have like your extra sats that just come in. Like you've got your sats on your fold card and you've got uh, sats on Noster that people tip you and like, like a bunch of different things. And you withdraw all of that to your kind of ex your fun, your fun wallet, which is just you save everything there. And that's when you go on a trip or you buy something you really want or 
anything like that. That's just for fun. So creating sub wallets is actually just kind of a cool way to delineate a lot of that stuff. So now I want to receive Bitcoin to this. Down at the bottom, there's just a button for send and receive. I hit receive and boom, there's a QR code and an address. Couldn't get simpler. This, is, this address represents a way for someone to lock Bitcoin such that only my keys, only this app and everyone who listens to this episode can unlock it. But this address just looks like a bunch of random characters. It starts with a BC1. It usually starts with a 1, a 3, or a BC1. Uh, they're just kind of formats. It's not really important. They're all belong to you. Um, but this one's BC1, Q2, CZ, LJJ. So you should see that plus a bunch of other letters. When you regenerate or when you recover those same seed phrases, you will see this address. So I'm going to a... Custodial, I'm going to go to Strike here. This is just a service. So this is a service that connects like your debit card or your bank account so that you can, with dollars, you can send somebody a lightning payment or a Bitcoin payment. Um, and I am just sending $10 over the network to address VC1Q2C, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to confirm, and now it is sent. So now... Uh, anybody who has set up this wallet should be able to see this transaction. It is 41,612 sats, which is roughly $10. And now I will give you the rest of the seed words. Seven is gather. Eight is casino. Nine is innocent. Ten is problem. Eleven is purchase. And twelve is order. With those twelve words, you can regenerate my private key, reestablish this entire wallet, see this transaction history, and send this Bitcoin to anywhere you like just using those 12 words. So I want you to understand how powerful that key is. It is everything. My Bitcoin, the Bitcoin that I just sent to this, is I am already considering gone. My wallet, because I have spoken it out loud, is now your wallet. So just so that I do not accidentally send money to this again in the future, I'm going to delete this wallet right now because this is useless to me. So good luck racing to get those coins. Maybe, maybe if you download and listen to this episode quick, you'll get it before everybody else. Now the normal interactions that you will have with a wallet are basically going to be done with QR codes. I mean, you'll be able to copy and paste the string of like the wallet address and things like the, the thing that just generated um, to send Bitcoin to. Um, but sort of like a bank account, like if you want to send money to somebody's bank account or their card, you get their card number. You get their account and routing number. Your address is how you send Bitcoin to somebody and uh, or their address. Somebody else's address is how you send Bitcoin to them. And your address is how someone sends Bitcoin to you. Technically, you can reuse addresses. And, you know, that's what you do in the banking system, right? Is you re you're used to using the same account over and over. But because you can generate as many sub keys as possible, it's actually a bad idea. It's not good practice to use the same static address over and over and over again. It's better to think of addresses as individual payments is it's like a receipt number your receipt number is different on every single receipt even though it's being paid from or to the same location well that is a much better way to keep up with things and to protect your your privacy basically down the road is to separate things and there are some other mild mildly very mildly risky security reasons that you don't want to use addresses but it's technical and nuanced and not important. Just don't do it. Just whenever you want to receive more Bitcoin, just use a different, different address. And all you have to do is hit the receive button and it will just make a new one for you. Now here's a fun little quirk about how Bitcoin works and what wallets are doing. So if you send a Bitcoin to my address and then later on you send Bitcoin to a new address and Bitcoin to a third address. We keep doing business together for some reason or other. Well, my wallet is going to show the balance of all of those things. But what it is going to be doing is looking through the chain 
and seeing those transactions and simply pulling those into my history. But the only thing exi- that exists are those individual transactions. And when I want to spend all of them, I have to sign and unlock each of the transactions. I don't unlock a full balance, like a concluding balance. That's just the, what the wallet shows me so that it's easy to see. But the only thing that a transaction on Bitcoin can reference is a previous transaction. It never like goes into an account, so to speak. It never has like one specific place or like a balance of Bitcoin that is like manipulated in a certain way. It's literally just a chain of transactions. Every new transaction simply references the previous one, which means that in any chain of transactions, like the history of Bitcoin, only the last one that hasn't been spent is valid or is spendable. You will see these referred to as unspent transaction outputs or UTXOs, which is a whole, it's a big fancy sounding word. And it just means that Bitcoin you received or Bitcoin that any specific person on Bitcoin has received that haven't been spent yet. They are still behind someone's keys. They are validly spendable. Whereas the history of that, of those coins, previous transactions that they were involved in are still there in the Bitcoin history, but they've been spent. They're not unspent transaction outputs. They are spent transaction outputs. And you cannot double spend in Bitcoin. After you have spent Bitcoin, you're done. Like you, the, the old transaction is not relevant anymore. So there's a lot of other little quirks around that that are fun and we'll dig into eventually, but I don't want to overload right now. It's not really important. It's just an interesting thing about how Bitcoin works. And it also means that the more transactions you have had sent to your wallet, essentially the larger transaction you have to construct in order to send Bitcoin out when we're talking about Bitcoin on chain, because you have to reference all of the other transactions that you received it on. So if you receive one Bitcoin in a single transaction on a single address, well, then it is only you have that just that one to reference to unlock. But if you received one Bitcoin in a hundred different transactions, it just totals one Bitcoin. Well, you have to reference all 100 of them, which means that to sign and move that Bitcoin takes a lot of data. So your fee is actually going to be higher. It's not going to be about how much Bitcoin you are moving. It's going to be about how much data you are writing to the Bitcoin history. But what I have just set up in Blockstream Green is if I had securely written down my seed phrase and continued using it as a wallet on my phone, I would have considered it a hot wallet. But because I took screenshots of my seed phrase and I read my seed phrase aloud on the podcast, I have considered it a burnt corpse of a wallet. So I am actually deleting it right now. I close the app. Go back to it, single sig Bitcoin, and I hit my little three dots for options, and I hit remove wallet, and it says, do you have the backup? Be sure I do, I have the backup, I read it aloud on the podcast. Be sure you have the recovery phase before removing the wallet. Remove wallet. Okay, now I am going to do the same thing with blue wallet. I'm not really sure about why the colors, but blue and green wallet. They're both, both options that I have used um, many, many, many times. Um, I'm a fan of both of these wallets. So I'm going to add a wallet. So there's like, basically Blue Wallet has big blocks up at the top. It's a really clean interface. Um, and each one of them represents a different kind of wallet. So I start off and it just comes up and I've got an add wallet. It just says add now. And I've got a couple of different options. I've got, I'm going to call this my first wallet because that's easy. It says Bitcoin, Lightning, and Vault. So in this instance, Bitcoin is the option I talked about with. You have one key. It's a hot wallet generated right there on your device. Lightning is the lighter weight payment, uh, payment wallet. But we, again, we're not going to worry about that right now. And then the Vault, um, I'm pretty sure this one specifically just refers to 
they're just calling a vault is something that you connect to a hardware wallet. So if I wanted to use my cold card or some other hardware wallet with this, um, that's what I would do. And then there's an import wallet down at the bottom. And that is what you're going to use if you want to enter these seed words and recover the wallet onto your blue wallet so you can see the transaction history and hopefully get the $10 that I'm going to send to this. So I select Bitcoin, I hit create, and we've got 12 words. Please take a moment to write down this mnemonic phrase on a piece of paper. It's your backup, and you can use it to recover the wallet. So this is where I commit Bitcoin suicide. One, actual. Two, about. Three, violin. Four, crash. Five, tail. And that's T-A-I-L. Six, day. And we'll hold off on those other ones for just a second. Now, if I am making a real wallet, I have written these down. And I have put them somewhere safe. And I have to hit the button. Okay, I wrote it down. That's what it says. And that's it. Now I have a wallet. And I can click on it. There's no transaction history. I can send or receive down at the bottom. This is going to be a very, very common theme. The interface is not very complicated. Um, and unless you specifically get a wallet that's got like a bunch of functionality and give you advanced settings to use some specific type of address and multi-sig and all these fancy things, you don't need any of that. This is, this is going to be your basic interaction. So I'm going to hit receive. Um, have you saved your wallet's backup phrase? <laughs> yes, I have. Receive, and here we go with another address, BC1Q0XQ. So another um, fun little quirk about addresses. You know, we talked about hashes in episode two, how it was a fingerprint of the data. Well, one fun thing is that early on, when uh, you created a Bitcoin address in Bitcoin, you could accidentally type the address wrong and it would still be valid because you can just generate an endless number of addresses. So what they ended up doing to prevent people from fat fingering something because there were a lot of manual address inputs when you know this was all run on terminal and desktop apps, uh, uh, people would actually type it wrong and they would just accidentally send Bitcoin into the void. But the last, I think it's eight characters or five characters. I can't remember. Um, I'm pretty, I think it's eight. The last few characters though, last handful of characters in every address is actually a hash, a tiny hash of the address. So it acts as a fingerprint, which means that if you type any one character wrong, you're not going to be typing anything in. You're going to be using QR codes and you're just going to scan it. But needless, or regardless, the last eight characters are basically confirmation that all of the rest of the characters are correct, that they are the same. And just like any hash is a fingerprint of the data that it references, if I change just one little thing about the, about the address, if I, if I get one letter wrong, the last eight, the checksum as it's referred to, are going to be all completely different. If, of course, it was a valid address, which means that if I punch it in wrong, the last eight just aren't going to be relevant. And when it reads the address, it's going to say these last eight characters are a fingerprint of an address that you did not type in here. You punched in something wrong. So that's just like kind of a cool uh, way to use hashes as a verifier, as a way to keep you safe. Um, but it also means that when you're punching in or when you're scanning an address and you just want to confirm that it's the same one on their device as it is on your device, uh, you can mostly just read like the first eight characters and the last eight characters. And generally, that's, that's all you need to be certain that the whole address is correct. So I've got the QR code, I've got my address, and I am going to tap and copy. Copy to, copied to clipboard. All right, so I am going to uh, send a, a lightning payment to Strike. I'm sending money from a custodian, from, like I said, Strike from earlier, um, specifically so that there is no connection to any on-chain Bitcoin that I own. <laughs> so I'm copying it now. I am going to, so I just moved some lightning Bitcoin to Strike, and now I'm going to pay out. 
scan a QR. I'm going to paste the address that I got from Blue Wallet. Allow paste. And $10. And hit next. And here are... That's actually one cool thing about um, Strike is they separate out in a different color or in a more highlighted uh, color the first six and the last six characters. And that's basically a reiteration of what I just explained is that if you just use the first six and the last six characters and confirm it, then they are basically proof or their verification that the stuff in the middle is the same. So it's kind of cool that Strike actually... Again, Strike is a more of a financial service. They connect your bank account. You don't have any privacy. That's not what this is about. It's just a way to have your dollars easily go back and forth between Bitcoin and Lightning and all this stuff. I do highly recommend Strike, but not as a privacy thing, as a banking service that speaks Bitcoin. So anyway, got the address here. I'm confirming and ching. And see, in the context, it says a mining fee. It showed me, it cost me 57 cent to send that, which is not very efficient on-chain because I'm using a tank to send $10, right? It, the, the gas is quite a bit more expensive in a tank if I'm running to just go pick up a candy bar at the store. I should have used Lightning because the Lightning transaction that I just sent to Strike <clears throat> cost me one fifty-one sats, which is just shy of a penny so in that context you see how lightning is a whole lot cheaper i sent ten dollars to strike over lightning it cost me 0.8 of a penny i sent it on chain back to the blue wallet and it cost me 50, 57 cent because i was actually writing data to the bitcoin chain so i sent my original payment in like an envelope and then i had it delivered back to the blue wallet in an armored vehicle and now that transaction shows up. It shows up as pending, by the way, when it's on chain. That's how you'll see it. And it says conf, C-O-N-F equals zero. That just means we're waiting for the next block to come in on Bitcoin to trap this into the Bitcoin time chain and start building a hash wall around it. That proof of work that's taking us forward in Bitcoin. Uh, and it won't take long, but it is again... 41,548 sats. Or denominated in Bitcoin, it's 0. 0.00041548 Bitcoin. So when you recover those 12 words, which you only have six of them so far, uh, but when you recover those into your blue wallet, you should also see that transaction, one coming in and then probably one going out. If you don't see one going out, send it very quickly because those Bitcoin will be yours. Now, after you look at both of these wallets, it is of utmost importance that you delete them. This is purely for funsies and testing purposes. Do not send any Bitcoin to them. And again, that is what I am doing right now. I'm, I think I can just do it right from this screen. Yep, I'm going to delete this wallet. Are you sure? Yes, delete. Okay, so I just deleted about 82,000 sats. But they are not lost forever. I'm just waiting for someone out in the universe to collect them. Now, hopefully, if you do this, if you end up setting up one of these wallets, I mean, you don't have to punch in the thing and see the history if you don't want. You just set up your own keys, keep those safe, write them down, and then you can use your wallet. You have an address and you can receive Bitcoin as you wish. Now, we are going to go over Lightning uh, later, I guess we'll probably we'll probably do this in episode five. Uh, then I will do the node, but we're probably going to do a a couple of different lightning wallets, and I'll explain briefly what lightning is and why it's generally the best way to interact with Bitcoin now, especially when we're talking about small amounts. Like the example I just gave is the difference between less than a single penny to send that transaction instantly and then I turned right around and spent 57 cent to send the transaction and wait for a confirmation. Obviously, Lightning is much better for a $10 payment in that instance, a 41,000 sat payment. Oh crap, I don't think I ever covered what a sat was. This is the Bitcoin Basics series. I definitely should have done that. So a sat or a satoshi is just the smallest denomination, the smallest divided out unit of a Bitcoin. 
So one Bitcoin is technically 100 million sats. So one Bitcoin is a huge, extremely valuable thing, but it is made up of many, 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 100 million tiny units called sats. So just like a penny and a dollar bill are like they're the same money. A penny is just one one hundredth of a dollar bill. Well, if we were using the same analogy and a penny equaled one sat, well, then the the same difference would be that a Bitcoin would be like a million dollar bill if one sat was one penny. Because there's a hundred sats and a dollar and then another million into what is a quote unquote Bitcoin. So that's the same relationship. Uh, imagine there's a, a bill that you can get if you're just a epic dollar baller and you have, you know, you have a couple of million dollar bills in your pockets. Well, then having a penny in your back pocket would be like having one sat in comparison to your bitcoins, which are your hundred, your, your million dollar bills. So 100 million sats equals one bitcoin. And I think we have covered enough right now for the wallets and transactions episode this one might not have been a little quite as straightforward but i hope it was helpful and to just kind of illustrate and get you familiar with some of these ideas that you're going to see when you're using a wallet but if you have any questions about this stuff um feel free to uh boost or shoot me a dm or a message on fountain or noster or twitter I'm happy to help and I'll try to make sure to address some of those questions in Basics Episode 5. Now, just because BTK pointed this out to me in the Audionauts group, I apparently, hey buddy, um, I apparently have not, I've missed some very big and very baller boosts on Fountain and not given a shout out. To some people, like BTK in particular, and I am ashamed. I am so, I want you to know how sorry to the bottom, to the deepest core of me that I am. But I have to say, Fountain does not properly organize these things such that it's easy for me to know which ones I have covered. And somehow a lot of these gets caught in the mix. I'm pretty sure, TK, I, I thought I read this one. But hey, you know. You say you listen to all the episodes. I don't know. But I did find it. It was a 50,000 sat boost. Heck yeah, by the way, man. Uh, and it says, it's TK. <laughs> it's NOS-TUR. It's NOS-TUR, not NO-STUR. I appreciate the correction, sir. And I have been trying. I have been trying to stick with the NOS-TUR. I go back and forth. My wife kind of laughs at me about it is that I'll just I'll be in the middle of a sentence or a paragraph saying something and I'll literally say it both ways like two times. And as soon as Rad is saying Noster or Noster, he's not going to have any idea. He's just going to think it's just a malleable word that can just sound like however you want it to sound like. But TK, I will aspire to uh, try to say Noster um, in honor of your 50,000 sat donation. And I very much appreciate it. And we will leave that the only call out for Basics 04. Um, TK, in, in uh, appreciation and apology, you were, the only, you were the only call out baller boost for today's episode. And I'm going to come up with another way. I'm going to come up with some fun ways to uh, maybe try to give away keys again. Like do what I did in today's episode. And I am perfectly aware that the other six of the Blue Wallet have not been said yet in this episode. But there could be a fun way to get people involved. Like I could make a keep room and make people join and I'll drop one of the words. Or maybe on Noster I'll drop one of the words. I don't know. There's some fun, there's some fun stuff there. I should do that more often. It makes people have to use Bitcoin and kind of gamifies it. So I think there's something there's something really fun there in using how Bitcoin works to make a competition. But with that, we're going to close this episode out. I hope this was illustrative and a little bit on how to think about and how to relate to your wallet. It is simply an interface that is pulling all of the information from Bitcoin that is relevant to your keys and a way to generate addresses, to generate locks, 
in order to receive Bitcoin and sign Bitcoin that you already have to send to somebody else. And we will also go over hardware wallets a little bit more in depth in kind of their own episode. But as soon as you have real savings, a substantial amount of value stored in Bitcoin, like I said, I highly, highly recommend getting a hardware wallet of some kind. And as I mentioned earlier, I will have my favorite hardware wallets listed in the show notes, as well as a lot of my favorite on-chain wallets. And then we will go over lightning stuff in uh, probably the next episode of the Bitcoin Basics series. So congratulations to whoever acquired the 41,000, 42,000 sats on both of those wallets. A thank you to Swan Bitcoin and CoinKite and Fold for sponsoring the show and having such awesome services in the Bitcoin space. And thank you guys for listening and subscribing and learning about Bitcoin with me. I will catch you on the next episode. And until then, take it easy, guys. Seven, option. Eight, mom. Nine, symptom. Ten, dune. Eleven, text. Twelve, inhale. Good luck. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.